very African. Come and step in brother's temple, see what's happening. You'll taste the bass flow coming from a zero. Tell me what a sissy know. Funk a lesson is a new flow. Stalking, walking in my big black boots. Living off the earth, eating herbs and fruits. The children await me by the mountain and the river. And gather around the fire for the scroll that I deliver. The speak of a house is from the sand to the sky. And devils ever doubt and want to measure how high. Your life reveals you, your mind can't catch it. Dimensions of a god go far beyond brackets. Coming to my oven, devils, come and you burn. I can always be a vulture with the strength and black word. You're pissing me off because you swear you're higher level. Back to your cave, get yourself together. Chili and Megillah, chocolate and vanilla. How can polar bears swing on vines with the gorillas, please? Check your reason, cause it's something amiss. My home is a void, you're down in the abyss. I teach your funk code and don't preach a rap rhyme. Harambe to the sun as the mortals ask time. Comes the sundown speaks. what time is it? The building of the strong are the lessons of the meek. what time is it? My science is deep, my blackness is deep. How deep? Deep, deeper than Atlantis, deeper than the seafloor, travel by the mantis. Your copycats will never know. With you, the funk will never flow, but that's another blow. Make your move, beef apprentice, I never step. I'm a travel move, your master hasn't figured yet. Bring your weapons to my sword and shield. What's the higher level if your shit ain't real? My mystic magic, what you gonna do? Think before you step before the rebel, silly mortal you. I tried to warn you, but your mind won't catch. You're just cookies in my oven. If I wanna burn a bat, you just burn. Van Glorious, this is protected by the red, the black, and the green with the key, sissy. Like this, like that, like that, like this. How dark is the world, how strong is a fist. Originals come from the sand and the soil to the concrete. Fighting wars in the street. The day of outrage, history, another page. We like the word of this, but now there is a brother Jade. The prince of warriors, lead masses. Stomp and live a lip, punks playing asses. The damn sissies always stalk full of glory. Sissy bomb is coming, but that's another story. So many people forgot where they came. Disrespect religion, but the living is lame. Black, white, how you living? Blowing the now. Teach the many mortals the chimes of a sundown. To the east, teaching gods to be what it was, what it is, and again shall be. What's my mind state if my state ain't black? But Moses, Malcolm, and here we are back. And the voice to a many going verb to verb. Sit back and take heed, brother, you must learn. Swimming in the books, and the books ain't given. The scales of a black man weighs in the living. what time is it? I dwell among the mortals, the time is in the verse. Grand what time is it? Positive nature, mortals call it curse. Grand what time is it? Shadows in the sunlight, balancing the birth. Tick tock tick, we go sun to moon. Verbalizer speaks, it's a quarter to doom. Self-destruction, it's not a key function. Number bound the leaders, cause the people keep fronting. When will they realize the body needs head? It's more than what's said when a leader lies dead. Coming to the darkness, path is light. Death meaning life as the pharaohs take flight. Too much degrees for a silly pale thief. You can't define what's direct from the east. God protect me. He selects me. God makes a path so the world respects me. Zero to nine. Grandest creator. I pray for those on both sides of equator. Professor X. When will they learn? Once life enters doors. Death no return. No return. This is an invitation to the crossroads. If you did. 
Atlanta is a, an example of the concentration of blacks in uh, a large city, and uh, the, uh, we need this kind of concentration in order to start uh, to, to control our community. Uh, the South, too, it, it's like the uh, saying where the chickens come home to roost that uh, the uh, contradiction started here, uh, Jamestown, uh, 1619, I believe, uh, where some slaves were brought over here, and uh, this is where the wrong started. And I think that uh, we always have to return to the original uh, scene of the crime in order to uh, correct the crime. I was so impressed uh, with the people here uh, and the fact that 65% are black and the progressive uh, uh, thinking and actions of so many people such as uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Stanford of uh, uh, Free uh, For All uh, Missionary Baptist Church. Now I met Atlanta, Georgia in order to, uh, uh, to uh, lay the foundation uh, for the move uh, to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, this might uh, take place within the next six-month period. Uh, I'm in somewhat of a rush this uh, visit. I might be here uh, a few more weeks. My trial starts in Oakland, uh, California next month, uh, the first week of next month. I say that uh, I'm very happy to be here. I'm always happy to be among uh, my people. And uh, we, I find my people every... Uh, headquarters, the central headquarters to Atlanta, Georgia. So a foundation for the uh, move to Atlanta, Georgia. Why shift the base of uh, the Black Panther Party's operation from the West Coast to the Southeast? So this is uh, the situation. The book is still not uh, there. The book is missing. Uh, so far, the court uh, would not stop my trial on the basis that uh, the uh, evidence was in the state's hand and they lost it or stole it. Thank you very much. Uh, group X-Clan. Here's the nine. The movement Black Watch. And when we're not outraged about the oppression upon the black existence, we step to you in blackness. By the way, exist in a state of vanglorious as we are protected by the red, the black, and the green. Heed the words of the brother. Sissy. Let us the words, word to phrase, to paragraph. Heed math as Jay begins class. The science of past is now brought to the rhyme face. From the scroll, straight to the verse. God to God, from God to man. Many kings, many leaders, a fist from a hand. They call me militant. Now what does this mean? Do I carry a gun to make the army scene? With the cause I never pause, that's simply the brother. Raise the flag, wave the colors. Red, black, green with the key, the difference. Words make a way in the world in the instant. Living to die and I die to live again. 360 degrees. Comprehend. A man getting stronger till he's man no longer. Unearthly state makes the time seem shorter. Forever radiant awareness. Born forth the one. Open eyes, stroke shun. Practicing priests, stand by what I teach. So you all stand starving as I start to unleash. Brought from the 
action to learn a basic lesson. Fight majestic, stern within reality. A juggernaut when you tamper with mentality. However, crown, extension and dimension of a brain cell. Bringing health to the sellouts. Forever tangled, web we weave. Always trying to obtain, no attempt to achieve. Descendants of kings and queens act like justice. Never potential, quarter of the measure. Jealousy of what are we? Becomes tendency for their thievery. All right, cool. But no need to pull the tool, cause that's a fool. I get my words like that in my stool. To produce the words that they dream about. It's another way of taking out these sissies. Who may try to extinct my principality. But of course they're not having madness. From beginning, I'm the end. Observe me. Ignorance is not a trend. So as I beckon for a few seconds, pull the reins and hear the words of the brother. Mastering words on the verse Funk is a four-side shirt Egyptian, African Now I'm on a black watch Check my sundial Supernatural clock I can catch a shadow As the moon reflects the sun Creator's eyes Make a path to brother one So now I walk softly And carry a big stick A bird stick So you native sooner late Jay brings the funk And spreads jam To the wheat bread And the folk of this One vanglorious Unearthly resistance Strong with persistence Grand verbal allocations Tribal connection Pyramids Witness the funk bearer Vibe sharer Not the error Brother is balanced Like the scales of Thor And neither my demand Makes stones seem soft Systems, positive poison of me. Some call it onk, it's a key. Black is a color while blackness, state of a mind state. But how many of you think? Today, Brother J can find a better way, so be it. Plan it down and make it stay. I serve a purpose. Yet I'm not the G.I. Joe, I am the brother. You I can never swear a person just hasten your step to the mic and stage areas. I drop the science that breaks the clock barrier. Words of old make me more than a beginner. The key opens knowledge and places an antenna. American a man, African a brother. Don't forget the land, cause the birth is from the mother. A vibe is in place, obtained and discovered. Tune in your audio and hear the words of brother. Yo, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, step on. Heed the words of the brother. Q4 Radio, AM 1680. We started our morning off with some X-Clan. Rest in peace to Professor X, the overseer. And who else? We lost another member of the X-Clan crew. And I have to beg y'all forgiveness. His name is Sugar Shaft. Man, hurt myself there. And rest in peace to Sugar Shaft, whom we also lost. Tragically and prematurely, this is the Bro Diallo Show, Q4 Radio, AM 1680. Today is February 19th in the year of your Lord, 2020. I am broadcasting out of the city of Chirac, state of Drill, Illinois, in the United States of America, from Q4 Radio, AM 1680. You can also listen at Q4.org, the TuneIn app, iTunes Radio, and I'm also broadcasting at Diallo Kenyatta slash YouTube. I try to make as many options available for access to the show as I possibly can. Thankfully, much appreciation to Q4 Radio for, for providing this platform. Much appreciation to my Patreons for sustaining this platform. As we get in, we have a lot today. Uh, Monday was President's Day, and I saw a disturbing, a very disturbing uh, meme going around for President's Day, which is a national holiday in the United States that we take to recognize the uh, 
presidents, the, the, the chief executive of the United States, the figurehead, the, and what has been come to be called since the post-World War II, the most powerful man in the world, the United States president, which isn't even close to reality, but let's pretend. But I saw a meme working its way around uh, the black Internet saying that happy President's Day to Obama and only Obama saying that Obama is the only president worthy of our um, acknowledgement on President's Day. And I guess suggestion suggesting that prior to um, Obama's election, there was really no president that was worthy of our recognition, which I think. It's sad. It, it's kind of it, it, it saddens me. Um, the reason it saddens me is because. I understand making the Obama mistake. Twenty two thousand and eight was a long time ago. And I fully understand. I have relatives who grew up in segregation. You know, my my aunt tells me my great aunt, my grandmother's sister would tell me about segregated libraries and how she would go to the library in Kansas City, Missouri, and the library is still there. Actually, it's not the same library. They actually tore it down and rebuilt it anew, but it's still there. She would go to the library. It was just off of uh, Prospect, Linwood and Prospect, the Linwood Library in Kansas City, and it was a segregated library. They didn't allow black people to go into the library, but she had a love of reading, and our family didn't have at that time coming out of the depression era didn't have money for books that was a luxury the only book we had in our house and when i was growing up in the 80s and 90s was a was a damn bible it was the only book we consistently had in our house and so it was the same situation for generations with with my family but there was a white woman who took a liking to my aunt cuz she'd see her sniffing around the library and so she would bring my aunt in and let her sit under her desk and would 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 sneak books to her and allow my aunt to sit up under the desk and read the books in the in the dim light under her desk until she was ready to go. And my aunt came there one day because she wasn't allowed to check out books. And my aunt came there one day and the old lady said, listen, I'm retiring, so you have to stay away from here. So I, I'm, I'm the only, this, this was considered a good white person and told my aunt not to come back anymore. So my aunt had lost access to the library, but it did feed, my aunt went on to be the first person in our entire family, my great aunt, to graduate, to get her PhD and have a long, successful life in academia. But she's still alive. My grandmother, the back of the bus, Rosa Parks, lynchings, I've talked to relatives. My wife's father uh, observed not a lynching, but when he was growing up in Macomb, Mississippi, as a little boy, he would see the aftermath of lynching. Mutilated bodies, half-buried bodies in shallow graves. So we that's people we have access to. People my grandson that, that changed my grandson's diapers. I mean, changed my son's diapers. People who took my children and held my children in their lap. They are familiar with that history, not to mention the ongoing tra traumas of Sandra Bland or Rodney King. 
So the atrocities goes, but we have people in our community that experience that are still alive today. You know, I have, I knew my great grandfather, Sonics Bowie. And he knew Reverend Streeter, who was born into slavery. We had people in our family. It's just a stone's throw away from slavery. We're not even a stone. We a pebble toss from 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 Jim Crow. And many of our cities still reflect Jim Crow, the, not the legacy of Jim Crow, but the reality of Jim Crow. So understanding that. My aunt, my grandmother. Even some of my uncles, my great grandmother and my great grandfather, whom I knew, who I grew up with, who helped raise me. I can understand the hustle that Obama ran on them because a black person occupying the most powerful seat in the world was just a fantasy to them. It was something that could never happen. I mean, black people used to celebrate when a president, a white president would put a black person on their cabinet, would appoint a black man to the, be the UN ambassador. When we would just get adjacent to power, that used to be something that was cause of celebration. They would put pictures and posters of that man who's the cabinet, the secretary of education or secretary of the interior is a black man. Woo! So a, that's something that they used to anticipate. I hope he gives us a cabinet seat. But then you have a black man who was president who appointed the whole cabinet. I understand. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I understand. So black people were very vulnerable to having a neoliberal traitor be the embodiment of our hopes and our dreams and our vision and the fulfillment of all of our struggles. A culmination of all of our hard work embodied by a man who didn't give a hot damn about it. But I understand it. In 2008, I'll even give y'all 2009 and 2010. After 2010, I don't think there's any excuse. I sat there and watched on TV as people cried. Black people trembling. When Obama and Michelle and their two daughters walked out on that stage for for his acceptance speech. And his inauguration had record people. And I knew black people in Missouri. I owned a restaurant and people would come in there and, and meet and commune to plan to go to the. And it was a freezing, miserable day. And they went out there and stood on the lawn of D.C. to see Obama uh, take the oath of office. I understand it. Many people. Many people from where I am that would be wouldn't even be close to the podium, wouldn't even within the range of the PA system. And they wanted to go be a part of history. And in the restaurant, people would come in there right next to the restaurant was a framing shop. And people were coming to the restaurant to eat while they waited on their Obama inaugural tickets on the on the front page newspaper article of Obama's election announcing Obama's election anything related to Obama people were paying three four five six hundred dollars for these elaborate frames and then they would come into the restaurant and be like hey brother look at this I got the Kansas City Star front page Obama wins I'm gonna have I'm gonna hang this up in my living room people were creating shrines to Obama I had my say 
I felt listened to. I was a member of the Black United Front, Kansas City chapter. And the Kansas City chapter was, we're going to embrace Obama and we're going to develop a political platform based on Obamanomics. And they gave me a book called Obamanomics and they called it the New Tools uh, Initiative. And they made our black restaurant a, a, a central part of the New Tools economic uh, rebirth of, 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 of the black, black community in Kansas City and, and, and the wider uh, region. And I sat there and said, I don't like this Obama guy. I think Obama's election will be a catastrophe. And I had my say, and they were like, well, you were heard. The, the, some of the top leaders in the organization, they even bought in a paid Obama campaign official to talk to me and, and assure me that Obama, all, the, all of my reservations and all of my hangups and all of my predictions about Obama were absolutely wrong. And we talked to four in the morning. My wife closed down the restaurant and went home and we sat there and talked. And I talked to a black economist and a black political mover and shaker and, and campaign uh, manager for the entire Midwest. We sat and went back and forth and they were telling me and I'm saying these are my issues with Obama. And they were like, you're wrong. This is a, you're miscalculating. I said, very well. If my organization, I will demonstrate organizational discipline. And they gave me an Obama sticker and I put it on the cooler. If you came into uh, Cafe C, the first vegan restaurant in Kansas City history, if you came in there and you saw that Obama sticker. I mean, Emba fought hard to get me to put it. And I'm like, hey, the, the organization, don't ask me my opinion. I can tell you what the organization position on Obama was. I understand. I promise you I understand. And I could understand why there were many red flags. And thank a shout out to people like Dr. Marimba Ani because Dr. Marimba Ani held her ground. There were many African scholars who held their ground, but there were many like Dr. Jeffries and even the big bad militant Minister Louis Farrakhan endorsing Obama. Obama was forced to denounce or reject Farrakhan's endorsement, but uh, Farrakhan did put it on the platter. All of that, 2008 was a long time ago. Economic crisis, we just came up from under the thumb of the George W. Bush administration, the war on terror, you know, and we had just uh, were becoming aware of the uh, surveillance society. So there was a lot going on. I understand. I, I can't stress that how much. I can't even say, hey, I'm not even condemning people. But what concerns me is in 2020 is that hindsight is that in 2020, there are the vast majority of black people still have not learned, still have not accepted the reality of Obama. That's what concerns me. Not that we were tricked. Fool me once. Shame on you. But in 2020, we cannot take a sober evaluation of Obama's legacy, of his policies, of his place in history. That we're still got Obama memes popping. Y'all still posting pictures of Obama and Michelle. Hashtag goals. Hashtag mood. 
that we are still under that delusion. And reason it disturbs me because Obama's political career is done. His political influence isn't even that strong. I think even Obama knows his brand is tainted. And that's why Obama has completely exited politics and has gone into media and entertainment. He's going to rebrand himself. He's signing deals with Netflix. You know, when Clinton left the office, they went into the DLC and they became political movers and shakers. They became kingmakers and queenmakers. And then the wife went into the Senate. They essentially took over the Democratic Party and the Democratic National Convention. Obama's have gone the other way. And even when there were calls for Michelle to run for mayor of Chicago or Michelle to run for Senate, she said, no, I want to be a Beyonce. I want to be the black Beyonce because Beyonce decided she don't want to be black anymore with skin bleach, blonde wigs. So Michelle's like, I'm going to be the black Beyonce. Michelle wants to be an it girl. She wants to be an influencer, fashion and tea parties. And I thank you. I'm so glad that they exited politics. So I don't think that the Obamas can do us harm politically anymore. Culturally, socially, they still can do damage are still doing damage. But politically, they're they're out of that arena. He hasn't even called endorsements. He might pop his head up and make a few vacuous uh, statements, not calling any names. He's too still too punk ass to say Trump's name. He's still scared of Trump. Well, so you know, and the way he talks around in circles and don't target. Now, when he talks about black people, he can say blacks, black, t- take off your house shoes and put on your work boots. He's real direct with us. But when it comes to white daddy, he's, oh, well, uh, I think certain people in certain positions shouldn't do or say certain things. Oh, punk. but I digress. But the problem here is that black people, the black community, the black political community is still vulnerable to the same tactic that was run on us because we haven't seemed to learn that lesson. So what bothers me is not the mistakes of the past, but the vulnerabilities for the future. That another charismatic Negro, a black woman or a black man that has a beautiful black family and a real uh, smooth black message That's my problem. The fact that not that we make mistakes, it disturbs me when we absolutely refuse to learn from the mistakes. If you could sit in 2020 and celebrate anything related to Obama's political, maybe when Obama and he start putting out them Netflix shows, you can maybe compliment his production his multimedia prowess. But if any black person in 2020 United States is still talking and being sassy about my president, it brings me, it gives me a great deal of uh, despair because we're vulnerable and we learn lessons. Black folks, we good at learning lessons. We good at learning lessons. This point is painful, but we can learn, but this is a lesson we refuse to learn. This is a lesson we absolutely refuse to learn. Obama does not have a positive legacy. Yes, Obama did rescue the the economy. Obama did rescue the economy, the capitalist economy. And you know how he rescued the economy? 
by draining all the wealth and opportunity from the black community. By unleashing the forces of capitalism, unregulated capitalism. So it is equivalent if capitalism was a white man, then he took and did an organ transplant. He took our lungs, our kidneys, our bladder and inserted it into. And so we sitting over here, gutted out. He gutted economically, gutted out the black community. And we sitting well, like he saved the economy. And how many times do we have to learn the lesson that the health of the economy has nothing to do with the health of the society? You could have a booming economy and an impoverished society. You can have an expanding economy and a contracting workforce. Alan Greenspan was probably the most famous and also the most honest chairman of the Federal Reserve. He would go before the Congress and say things like, well, the economy is strong because of worker in insecurity, meaning that the capitalist economy profits go up when workers are insecure. Profits go up when they're allowed to pollute the environment with impunity. Profits go up when they're allowed to engage in corruption. Offsourcing slavery, the economy goes up at the height of the Civil War. The South, when the just before on the on the eve of the Civil War, the southern economy, 80 percent of all the millionaires and wealthy people lived down south of the Mason Dixon. So slavery would be good for the economy if they could make all these people work. The closer you can move your workers to slavery, the better that would be for the economy. Why? Do I even have to explain why? That's why Jeff Bezos got people collapsing and dying on his factory floors because he's trying to get them to close to the state. The reason why Apple, the most highly valued company in the world, the first trillion dollar corporation, has all its factories overseas in places you can't see. You know, Apple loves its brand. You go and see the Genius Bar and these big, beautiful, open Genius Bars. But all their manufacturing, all their production, all their subsidiaries are buried away somewhere in some foreign third world country. Why? Because they need slavery. Apple wouldn't be worth a billion dollars. Steve Jobs wouldn't have died a multi-billionaire if they hadn't raped the planet, the ecosystem, if they hadn't exploited their workers to death. So when you're talking about Obama saved the economy, you can't just say that openly because that, that doesn't mean anything. You know, if I come and tell you I'm a good father, why? Because I gave my sons a good life. How did you provide that life? Well, I sold drugs to your family and I destroyed your family to preserve my family. I robbed your family to preserve my family. So simply saying he saved the economy, you have to say specifically, how did he go about rescuing or resurrecting the economy that Bush destroyed? Another thing, Obama... and. I, I'm going to I'm going to wrap this up. But Obama destroyed the Occupy movement. Obama locked up more whistleblowers than any other president since Woodrow Wilson 100 years ago. And he locked up more whistleblowers in his eight years than all other presidents combined. Obama engaged and set up international secretly negotiated international trade deals and the specific details of those trade deals were proprietary information that couldn't be revealed. 
Obama refused to investigate, prosecute, incarcerate any of the people responsible for the 2008 collapse. And many of the institutions responsible for the global economic collapse, which caused the greatest dip in black home ownership and black wealth accumulation since the last Great Depression. And we've yet to recover from that. Obama did not hold one person accountable. Obama set the precedent for the unilateral assassination of U.S. citizens. Obama, what happened during COINTELPRO, where the government secretly uh, conspired to kill leaders of subversive leftist revolutionary movements? Obama did that, made that legal. They don't have to sneak anymore. The government can unilaterally, summarily execute a U.S. citizen. Obama did it and drone bombed a U.S. citizen who had not been convicted of a crime and then murdered his son for good measure. His 16 year old son who hadn't been even been accused of a crime, let alone convicted. I could go on and on and on. And all y'all say, oh, and Obama came out and said, I had the most corruption-free administration. Another sideways dig at Trump because he's scared to say Trump's name for some reason. And he said, oh, oh, I didn't have any scandals. And for Obama to stand there and say, I had no scandals. The utter bottoming out of black wealth accumulation in the United States. And up until his, the end of his second term, Obama had the lowest number of pardons and commutations of any president. Ronald Reagan, a mass incarcerator Ronald Reagan let more people out of jail. And what did Obama do for our freedom fighters? How many Black Panthers did he leave to rot in jail? Or in exile? And then he did he did a high number of commutations. But what is a commutation? Meaning that those black men and women that he did let out of jail, they still carry those felonies. He could have pardoned them. Instead of commuting their sentences, he could have pardoned them, which means they wouldn't have a felony, which means they could get uh, uh, federal food stamps. They could get housing vouchers. They could get aid to go to school and go to college and reenter society. He released these people with the still the burden of second class citizenship. He released them to go live in a Jim Crow society. And if you don't believe me, go read Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. They could be limit, legally discriminated against. Some of the people he let out of jail, because he commuted their sentence, they had to go to halfway houses. They couldn't go and pack up and get out of town. So some of those brothers had bounties on their heads. And they ran up in the halfway house and was murdered in cold blood. Look it up. But y'all want to talk about Obama on President's Day. I didn't even say nothing. I just, sometimes, I get reary, you know. I get reary. So, I let y'all have President's Day. I let y'all have my president. And all that Obama's the only, I I only want to wish Obama, that viral uh, tweet where that guy said, Happy President's Day to Obama and only Obama. And everybody thought that was real cute. But ain't nobody laughing. White racists should be laughing. The capitalists, the oppressors, the imperialists, are. I'm sure they thought that tweet was real cute. And I'm sorry to tell you, if we just going off of the hardcore facts, if we only go and pen the paper, we're going to remove all this emotionalism and just say, okay, policy-wise, there were many presidents that did more for black people, specific 
black targeted legislation. Obama was on some trickle down stuff. I'll save whites. I'll save corporations. Yeah, I'll recover the economy. And once the economy has recovered, y'all black folks, y'all can whatever y'all can extract, whatever crumbs y'all can gather from under this table. You're welcome to them. Trickle down economics. But I guess some of y'all cool with trickle down. Y'all hated it when Reagan proposed it, but y'all love it when black celebrities and black politicians actually do it. But there were civil rights legislations, and even more so than presidents. There have been black senators and congressmen that have contributed more, have flexed their political clout more in our behalf than Obama. I don't think Obama would even make the list if we had to rank politicians with with the most progressive, favorable, pro-black policies and platforms. Obama wouldn't even be on the top 10, top 20, top 100 list. There are senators, there are congressmen, there are local legislators, state senators. There are mayors that have done more politically, that have had less political power and clout, but have accomplished more than Obama. It's a shame and it's disgusting. And the thing that bothers me most is we're we're prime. We're ripe for 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 another Obama hustle. We're begging for one. Moving on. Little Boosie, the rapper, wipe me down. I just played that for my son last night. Wipe me down. Little Boosie. Uh he has that inspirational song from the bottom. He came out and begged D-Wade not to chop off his son's penis. Now, I'm pretty sure you're all familiar with D-Wade has a son that has, or a daughter, I'm not sure what stage of the, I haven't followed the story. I have not followed the story. What I've been following, and I admit this, I've been following the community's reaction to the story more so than the story because to me the story is not relevant. I am a class conscious individual so what rich black people do I have inherent distrust and disdain for wealthy rich black people unless they are deliberately using their resources to subvert and commit class suicide. And I think that they have too much influence over our communities but anyway I had to start paying attention to this because everybody I it was just all over Twitter all over Facebook and even in when I'm in the community even when I'm at the gym everybody's talking about D-Wade has a child I don't even know the child's true gender identity I don't know whether the child is trans or just queer or gender non-conforming or gay. I don't know. I don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he is. He's, he's rich. He's a multimillionaire. So he's going to be all right. You know, if we're going to talk about the struggle and plight of LGBTQ black youth, I'd rather deal with all these LGBTQ black youth who are in prison because their parents, in the name of Jesus, threw them out of the house. So they went into sex work and stealing to survive. The many homeless that get thrown out of the house because of Jesus. 
because God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And so black people get to attacking and throwing out their 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 uh, children who don't conform to the gender binary. I, if we're going to really have a discussion about black LGBTQ or black gender, black sexuality, I'd rather do it to the exclusion of black millionaires and black people within the status quo. I'd rather do it to their exclusion. Because I notice that every time, I don't care if it's girl, dad, or whatever it is, whenever our discussions amongst the masses of the people, the unwashed, impoverished, oppressed black masses, when the field niggas got to deal with an issue and we use the house niggas as the catalyst to drive that issue, it's always coming from a very warped perspective. So I have paid little to no attention Expect and and then whether it's pot when I hear people singing the praises of a celebrity or condemning a celebrity, I I tend to be like, man, let's. But sometimes you can't ignore it. And like I said, what I'm more concerned about is the people's response to the issue than the actual issue. That's what concerns me most of anything, because you know, like Obama, I don't care. Obama's a sellout. You know how many sellouts we have. Dime a dozen. There's nothing special about a sellout. Even a sellout that reaches a becomes a corporate CEO or a sellout that becomes president of the United States. Now, I don't care about a sellout. What I care is, do we understand that we're dealing with the sellout? Do we comprehend and how do we respond to the sellout is more important than the sellout themselves? How does the community respond? Do we embrace them? Do we reject them? Do we understand that we've been sold out or are we falling for the okie doke? So anyway, I've kind of just let that story float. I know black people, we're really confused because the white man that came and told us Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and Adam and Eve and now he's flipping on us. Now the white man that wrote all the anti-sodomy laws the white man that that uh, persecuted homosexuals and, and told us that it was wrong and that that God made it. And now the white man's flipping on us and we can't keep up like white daddy. What do we do? Is gays wrong or are they right? Now, half of the white daddy saying it's wrong. Half white daddy say instead of taking amongst ourselves, black people do as we always do. Line up with the various white factions of an issue instead of plotting our own way, figuring out for ourselves every issue. I got to deal with a bunch of black folks that follow one faction of whites versus a bunch of black folks that follow another faction of whites when we should be like, okay, white folks go y'all way and we're going to chart our own path. But anyway, just to give some clarity for you black folks that are so concerned about D Wade's offspring. And I'm only saying this because truly I do I'm not sure what's going on over there. And I see the pictures of, uh, of the young person, them, they, I'm going to use gender neutral because I'm not sure what's going on there. I know what's going on on our side. There's a bunch of stupid hysteria in the community about whatever's going on over there. And if y'all want to discuss it, we can discuss it. But I, I can assure you, you can rest fine tonight that number one, whatever D Wade and his family and his offspring decide, uh, it's not going to harm you. <laughs> It's not going to threaten your sexuality nor the sexuality of your offspring. I promise you. If your child was gender conforming yesterday, they will be gender conforming tomorrow. Even if they see, watch a D Wade 
basketball game or whatever. I think he's retired, right? Whatever. I'm sorry. You're safe. Now, now that we can speak from a place of safety, allow me to explain some things because Boosie is a very ignorant man. And Boosie got more nerve than a toothache to be talking about anybody's child. Because if you could go back, when Boosie was first released from prison, he had a young daughter. And that young daughter was put on social media using some of the most profane language. I can't talk. Like, if I was to say the things this young child would say, who was around the age of uh, six or seven, and using the most, using certain language, go look up the video. And she's got money and she's got gold chain. You would think, I mean, I'm just saying. And so Boosie was... Some people call Boosie out like, man, you, you got your daughter on front street and, and curse. I mean, I remember when my son was young and in diapers and he was learning to talk and he learned to tell people, uh, shut up, leave me alone. And we thought that was so cute that this child was using such rude, lewd language. Shut up, leave me alone. Shut up, leave me alone. And we laughed. You know, even though it's not the appropriate thing for a child to say such, you know, crude things coming from a little baby in a bite. And he doesn't really understand what he's being saying. Say it. He's saying this all just sounds to him because he didn't even know how to string together a full sentence. He just knew the response he'd get. So I understand black folks been teaching little kids, making them cuss and say little, you know, off color stuff. We've been doing that our whole lives. Everybody does, except you super sophisticated Negroes. And I'm sorry, I'm giving you a little glimpse into how us uh, unsophisticated black folks get down sometimes. Forgive us. But this young lady was online. I can't even quote anything she says. I can't play it on air. But she's flashing money. We getting money. Yeah, my daddy coming home. We about to get paid. All you N's and B's and MF and blah, blah, blah. You, you got to see it. And I'm like, oh, bless this child's heart. I, I don't even believe in God, but I said a prayer for this child. Like, man, I hope that she can get some proper modeling of behavior. Like, shame. I saw, like, shame on you, Bootsy. And Boosie came out and was like, I don't care. Y'all can't tell me nothing about my child. My child, daddy was locked up. And, you know, and this, you can just tell things are not on the proper trajectory. Now, things might turn around. I know some kids of some real thugs that go off and become decent, upstanding black people. And I know some offsprings of some decent, upstanding families that, that, that become scumbags. So, you know. Nature nurture type thing. But I'm just saying all that to say Boosie got more nerd than two cakes to talk about anyone else's parenting choices. You know, and I can only comment on Bootsy's parenting methodology because Bootsy is 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 has his kids on social media and exploits his children for likes and, and social media attention all the time. But. Let's go to the part of cutting off that boy's penises. Y'all really losing sleep over this million, multi-million dollar famous wealthy family's business. But allow me to just say, I'm not speaking again. I don't know about D-Wade's situation. But if it is, you have transgender youth. Nobody's cutting genitalia on prepubescent youth, regardless of their gender, gender identity or gender identification. No one is doing that. No one is cutting off penises. No one is giving them transition hormones. It is not legal to do so. And even before the child can start to take what they call puberty inhibitors, 
or hormone inhibitors, they have to go through a series of psychological tests. Some psychiatrists and psychologists and endocrinologists before a child can go. Nobody where I'm seeing people say, oh, your child just wants to be a girl. That is not how it works. That is not what if, and all you got to do, they don't bite and they don't have anything that's going to rub off on you. It's talk to a transgender person. And if you just don't want a lightning bolt to strike you from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and your, your God is a damn hermaphrodite, by the way. Where did the angels come from? God is capable of asexual reproduction. He screw himself. How did he make? Yeah, he used Mary to be an incubator for Jesus. But who, you know. He didn't even want to touch Jesus, but he made a billion angels before he made Adam. Where they come from? He pulled them right out of his own womb. So, you know, (laughs) the heavenly womb. But I, I digress. But if you can't, just go online. Surprisingly, even to myself. If you find a transgender people, they don't really mind talking. If you come with with the level of respect, they'll explain the whole whole thing to you. Or you could just look on your own and leave people the hell alone. You could just go on Google and the information is out there. There are scientific journals dating back to the 70s. And just if you just got to watch out and not not look at anything coming from a political or a, a religious standpoint and just look at things coming from a scientific standpoint. And you can learn about gender uh, dysphoria. You can learn about people who are born intersex, you know, but in order for to get to a certain stage, there is certain, a whole series of interventions and supports and evaluations that a young person goes through. Like I said, there's psycho psychological and psychoemotional state, their physiological and hormonal state. There's all this goes through. And even if the child is fully confirmed to either have gender dysphoria or to be or have any other gender where their gender identity is inconsistent with their biological sex. And even when they reach all of those conclusions and they say, yes, this person is a transgender person. They do not go and just chop off penises. That's not how it works. So if you, for some reason, you heterosexual man and you're preoccupied with this child's genitalia, allow me to assure you, just like it's not going to affect you and your woman's relationship. It's not going to reorient your sexuality and it's not going to reorient the sexuality of your child. You're all safe. And if you're preoccupied about this child's genitalia, which I don't understand why, but let me assure you that nobody's going to be cutting anything on a on a minor. The only as I can and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but young people that are that are trans or not non-gender at all. Or children that were misgendered at birth and that that go through all these issues with with gender identity and and such, which is different than homosexuality. That's why there's a whole separate letter with the T is not the same as the LG or B or Q. The T is its own thing. And the reason. um, What was I saying? Oh, they're not cutting anything or attaching anything. The only thing that from 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 my research and I'm not an expert, but I just want to 
starts to saying like this is a legitimate this is a real thing this isn't just about people wanting making waking up and making decisions this is a diagnosable and treatable condition that can help someone live a healthier life to prevent people from going crazy or 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 committing suicide or having all these other issues but anyway they give minors what they call uh, hormone inhibitors to delay puberty and in order to delay puberty but that if they do become adults and they want to transition it prevents their bodies from going through certain changes that are essentially harder to reverse will make their transition more difficult or even dangerous so they do prescribe some transitional medicines for the child that is going through to, to help them cope with just like other that a child that's going to physical or psychological developmental transformations or developmental issues, they give them aids to help them through that error or to get them from one point to another. But there's nobody's cutting nothing. And I'm not sure why you would lose sleep, but all of you people that are hung up about this and thinking that they're going around cutting genitals of rich kids, no. I'm sorry. So now you can go back to focusing on your own goddamn kids. And maybe if you want to reach out to kids that are having issues, you can go and focus on children in your community that are having real issues and struggling with real issues. I know you're not. I know you're still going to watch every step. Some of these men know more about their these ball chasers and what's going on in the lives of professional athletes than they know than what's going on in the lives of their own people. You know, I know the, the there's people in my own family. I bet they can, they know the stats and, and the names of a bunch of football players, but they don't know the names of my own or, or the birthdays of their own nieces and nephews and cousins and whatnot. Just so so little Boosie and the rest of y'all can be can fall back. It's going to be all right. <laughs> y'all going to be all right. And then while we're on the subject of black parenting. There's another guy who I don't want to say because this is relatively fresh. There's a famous comedian. Who said that his son and he didn't name his son, but he's a or is he? A com- yeah, he's definitely a comedian, but he's like a, one of those. YouTube or, or, or Instagram comedians. He's like an insult comic. Well, anyway, he got some fame. He got a little bit of money and a little bit of fame, and he decided to send his children off to this white school, and I guess he moved into this more affluent neighborhood. And his children are being exposed to racism. And he said that he didn't even want his kids to know about the ugliness of race and racism. And someone sent me this link. And was like, bro, check this out. This this guy is talking about how his son was a victim of racism. And I this isn't really a very popular or viral story. And I don't really want it, think it should go viral or popular because I'm going to say some things. I Well, at least not for me. I don't want to tell the guy's name. And I don't want to get it out there because I haven't seen it. Someone shared it with me in my inbox. But, but the basic premise or basic idea of the story uh, is that uh, his child went from poverty to affluence, but in that transition from poverty 
to influence the childish experience overt racism. And a lot of wealthy or well-to-do black people have this issue. I've seen it personally. All my black relatives who followed the damn rules, not all of them, but many of my black relatives who followed all the rules, who did everything they were supposed to do, went to school, they drank their milk, they stayed in church, they didn't steal, they were honest, they, they got their degrees and went on to live a good life. Well, they go get there and they find out that uh, elite, wealthy, white spaces are racist AF. And you were better off in the hood ducking bullets than being in a wealthy, affluent white. Well, I guess that's that's the choice people got to make for themselves. It, it ain't easy. There's no sanctuary for black people. There is no sanctuary. So you're going to face the, the you can't escape your blackness. Money won't buy your way out of it. But anyway, long story short, this man said that his son was was traumatized. He said that he's greatly upset and he doesn't know what he's going to do. All this money, all this fame, and he can't protect his children from racism. And the person that sent me the email, I told them this, this is an irresponsible black parent. Jay, yeah, Jay sent it, sent me the email. I said, this is irresponsible black parenting. Because if you give birth or if you impregnate someone, if you are responsible for bringing a black person into this realm of existence, however you are responsible, you adopt you take on some of your niece, nephews, cousins, you bring them into your home. You carry the child to term. Uh, what, what did Jay-Z and Bay-Z do? Having like a, what do they call that? Well, however, they reproduce them babies, weird rich people, baby reproduction stuff. Artificial insemination, surrogacy, whether you say, however, if you are an individual, who is responsible for bringing a black child into this world. Even if you are a white person, a colonizer, and you on some Angelina Jolie and you going to Africa to shop for black babies, if you are a black person responsible for either bringing a black child into planet Earth or raising up a black child on planet Earth and you from day one don't start to teach that child about racism and white behavior and the true history and reality of the world, you are doing a disservice to that child. You are being irresponsible. And I'm not advocating that we go and take people away from them. But if you want to give this flowerly, it's like Dell Jones says, and I know y'all going to pick apart this statement. So I'm going to say it the way he said it and then we'll fix it. Dale Jones said, you don't raise your children in the jungle and don't teach them about the lions. Now, some of you going to get on here, nerds, going to talk about lions don't live in the jungle. They live in the savannah. So, yes, but you get the gist. If I raise my sons in the swampy marsh from day one, they're going to learn about mosquitoes. They're going to learn about leeches and they're going to learn about crocs. Any environment, even other animals. Even other mammals that that suckle their babies at their teeth. The first thing the mama bear teaches the baby bears is to stay away from adult male bears. Stay away from cougars. And when you encounter a cougar, when you encounter a male grizzly, you get your ass up that tree. And you holler out for me and I'll come handle it. And if I ain't around, you stay up in that tree until I get there. 
every living creatures, primitive creatures that don't know how to read history, don't know how to write, don't even have no sense of awareness, not even blessed by God and made in God's image as some of you believe. These primitive animals understand that when you're cultivating your offspring, just as you teach them how to hunt, how to eat, how to sustain themselves. You teach them about the predators in their environment and the risk of their environment. And if you raised up a child and you didn't tell a child about red light, green light, yellow light and how to cross the street. Y'all have children now and y'all go get all these covers. My wife did this. Go get all the covers for the plugs in the house and go get these zip tie things. So you can't open the cabinets that are down the lower cabinets and zip. And then they have these toilet things where you, you clamp down the toilet seat so you can't lift up the toilet seat. And then you have this cord thing, this spool for the cords for the Venetian blinds and you, you, you spool up the cords so the child can't. I'm like, listen, damn it. Nobody did this for me when I was a kid. But we're so conscious now. And baby gates. Half the damn house was baby gate. I was a damn, I could have went to the Olympics with my sons were babies and in diapers i felt like i was training for the olympics i was jumping over baby gates like hurdles i was on some flojo stuff you know i should have got me a splendid bodysuit and just went because I, I in order to wake up in the morning to go to the bathroom to go to the kitchen and get me a cup of tea and go sit down in my desk i had to jump over like five baby gate hurdles and i got good at it i got really good i think i could have done something with that talent but i let it go to waste Because everybody's so safety conscious for our babies now. And the number one threat to any black person, adult, child or in between is white aggression. Most of the threats we face that aren't that we don't think are white racism are byproducts of racism. Or byproducts, even the gangsters shooting up your house, that's a byproduct of white white racism. So it's no way that your child got to hit 15 and have some little redneck call him a nigga be his first understanding of what racism is. If anything, a black child was like, oh, man, I was waiting for this and I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I'm surprised it took this long. We need to teach black children about oppression, slavery, racism, the white aggression about Urugu about the psychopathic racial personalities, the white people's seemingly bio- biologically-based tendency for race-based aggression and discrimination and dehumanization. When you're sitting at your child, with your child watching those horrible cartoons that they make for children, you should be watching it and seeing any signs of, 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 of stereotypes, of racism, of, of, of uh, whitewashing of history. And you should say to your child, I don't care if they got a bottle in their mouth or a breast in their mouth. You see that right there? That's some bull. That's some white folks playing games right there. You know, even in anime, my son's watching Dragon Ball Z when he was younger. And I'm like, you see that that right there, that black face character? Even Japanese people are racist too. Watch them now. Be careful now. Black children should have perfect paranoia for total awareness. And I promise you, it's not going to, oh, I don't want my child to know about negative things. Like you say, fire burns. Does that diminish the quality of your child's life? Does that prevent your child from having joy that they know a stove is hot and it's going to burn their asses so you can't touch the stove? You can't stick a fork in the light socket. Does that diminish their quality of life? I don't want my child to know negative things. 
How is it negative? There's nothing negative about reality. You can spin it that way. Everything, it is what it is. It ain't negative. You gonna think, you tell your child, hey, if you run in the street and a car gonna run your little ass over, you better stay up on this sidewalk, stay up in this yard, or you gonna get ran over. Does that mean your child will never ever be able to enjoy riding in a car? No, they'll learn to drive and 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 have an appreciation of the the what a car can do and what you should do and shouldn't do with a car. So even if you tell your child white folks are racist, white people have created a system of domination where they take the majority of the resources and deprive us and they don't just deprive us of our share of the of the world's material resources, they dehumanize and degrade us and they and what they did they won't acknowledge and atone for what they did to our ancestors and they continue through force of arms, through murder, subversion, assassination, manipulation, indoctrination, maintain an unjust system of oppression. Now, what do you want? Pancakes or Cheerios for breakfast, boy? Your children will be okay. In fact, they'll be better off. And that doesn't mean that your child can't have white friends and that your child can't even go off and marry somebody white or somebody outside the race. But they're not going to do it from a state of ignorance, from a state of naivete. So I'm really sick of black people coming online, weeping and welling and moaning and gnashing of teeth about their black child experience of racism. And I'm like, what do you expect a black child to experience? In fact, we should make a tradition in the black community saying, hey, my son had his first racism. Just like y'all show the honor roll and them grade cards or y'all show videos of them reading for the first time and sounding out their words or learning their ABC. Show the video of your child backhanding a little racist bastard that says some racist stuff to them. Show that video and let's celebrate that like we celebrate straight A's and 4.0's and college acceptance letters. My son was well primed. My sons were well primed. They knew what racism were. They knew about the tendencies and pathologies of white people. I didn't sugarcoat it. I did not sugarcoat it. I remember one time I was standing in the aisle at Wild Oats. It was called Wild Oats back then before Whole Foods bought it. And we were standing in line behind this lady. And the, the clerk turned to me and said, sir, are those your crackers? And my son looked up at me in shock and said, she's supposed to say white people. (laughs) One of my favorite child, I'm going to take that one to the grave. My son, no. He knew what the term cracker came from. He knew what it meant. He he knew what the word nigger versus nigger. And he, you better stop playing this game with black kids. Stop playing this delusion. And you're not diminishing their childhood. You're not taking away. Go look at my sons. They know how to have a good time. And they know how to shut down a good time when things start to go the wrong way. My son, even now, he's 17 years old. He just went to that damn Trippy Red concert. He went to the NBA game, uh, all-star game. He's out in the world. He has all these friends, a multitude of friends from various backgrounds. And he said when he's in his crew and they out, you have some white kids that were raised up on this hip hop, listening to drill music. And when they stop out of place, he checks it like, yo, uh, uh-uh, we're not about to go there. You're not about to play this with me. And then the other black kids in the group are like, oh, yeah, yeah. So he's a good role model for his other people. Don't let them play because they go from, you know, saying little side jokes and then they pulling out ropes. 
Like that brother bird was just out drinking and having a good time with some white boys. The next thing you know, they pull out the rope and dragging him behind their truck. And they don't come. They don't. They always test the waters. Even when I was a kid. When white boys started listening to hip hop and getting into hip hop culture and they want to do graffiti and they just test the waters. They use a little slang. You know, they learn some, you know, hand gestures and. You know, they learn how to dap and they just see how far they can take it. And they always take it as far as you let them allow. They're not self-regulating. I don't care if it's economics or personal, interpersonal relationships. And you saying I'm stereotyping? Uh, fine, whatever. I'll take that. I'd rather be a stereotyper than a victim and allow my children to be a victim. And you, your children will not develop a victim mentality. I promise you. It is empowering. I have relatives who their children are experiencing racism. And I talk to them. And they're like, what am I going to do? I'm like, your son is 12 years old, 280 pounds of lean muscle, six foot five. Let me talk. I'll tell him what to do if you want, you know. He better come through there and just be busting heads. And all he got to do is just find one, find a little white racist white kid with braces. Because when you punch him in the mouth, it just shreds everything in there and he'll be spitting up blood for the rest of the day. Do that. And that will give him enough time to graduate high school. That's what I say. You know, have him join Antifa. Punch fascists, punch racists. If you are, okay, some of y'all, you know, y'all burning sage. And y'all got your chakras aligned. If it, they, there are verbal ways, non-physical, non-confrontational ways to shut it down. But you got to teach them to shut it down. You teach them the reality of racism. Now, I'm, I'm sick of this now. There ain't no way y'all don't. Oh, Lord, my child was called a nigga. Oh, Lord, this, they wouldn't let my child play. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Like, are you serious? Are you serious? Stop raising children in the jungle and not teaching them about the lions. And I know white folks, y'all don't like, you're calling us this and being stereotyped. Yes, I define white people are predatory. If you don't like being defined as a predatory, fine. Go and dismantle the empire. Return the resources and land that was stolen from everyone. Return it to the people. There are very specific and direct, obvious steps that white people can take as a group. And it don't take more than three to five percent of white folks to really make a fundamental cultural shift amongst the white masses. That's why the whole Occupy slogan, the one percent, one percent of white people dictate everything else to all the other white folks. Y'all run ruled by the one percent. So if you can get two to three percent of righteous white people, you got twice as many good whites as the evil whites to rule over stuff. So fix it. But don't allow that's what they white people want to oppress us and then dictate how we define and respond to the oppression. I tell my son, speak up for yourself, assert yourself and push come to shove. You better punch somebody in the goddamn mouth. And I'll be there to bail you out or to be in the cell right next to you. But we we not going there. Not here today. Now, we got a bigger revolution. But on a person to person level, if somebody want to make it personal. See, I, I don't take any of this personal. This is power. This is politics. This is protracted, multi-generational struggle. That's what my revolution is. I don't make it personal. But if you come to my face and you want to make it personal, then it's going to be personal. If you want to keep it philosophical, 
If you want to keep it ideological, then we'll stay in the philosophical ideological realm. But if you step out of that box and flesh to flesh, bone to bone, face to face, then we can get it on. And that's all I teach my sons. They know how to debate race and racial issues. They know how to identify racism. They know how to identify micro and macro aggression. They know to be prepared to hear for it. They know to watch for it and the media they consume and the friendships that they make. My sons are race people. They're race men. They are conscious of race, what race means, where race came from, where it's going, why race was constructed, and what the hierarchies are. They understand justice, injustice, oppression, liberation. They understand who are their potential allies and who are their potential enemies, who are their active allies and who are their active enemies in this larger struggle. They understand their collective responsibility to their race and they understand their personal obligations to their family and to themselves. They understand what it means to who they are as individuals and who they are as a member of an oppressed collective. All this, you just run it down, and you make it background noise. You ain't got to say, well, let's sit down at the table. Everybody sit down, and we're going to talk about police. And if a policeman comes to you, don't make it like it's something separate from everything else. Talk about it at the barbecue. Talk about it at dinner. Talk about it when y'all watching these damn NBA games. Just make it a part of the overall reality. Because when you sit down, let's sit at the table and, you know, make it the, the talk. I just blend it into everything else. This is the reality. This is part of the reality. It ain't just like you teach your child economic uh, fiscal response. Well, no, economic literacy. What's these words y'all throwing around now? I'm going to teach economic literacy to my child. Yeah, because if your child don't have money, handle money right, they might. Not have the nicest shoes as they'd like to have. But if your child don't handle this race things right, they can end up psychologically destroyed. And a lot of times, I'm quoting myself now, in our efforts to save our children's lives, we destroy their minds. Putting them in the best white schools, moving to the best white neighborhoods, getting them the best white books and the best white everything. And you have yourself a husk of a human being. You're going to raise up an Obama. Black on the outside, white on the inside. And I don't even think Obama's white on the inside. I'm, I think Obama's like a computer. You insert the program that you want him to carry out. Because sometimes Obama acts like a white person. Sometimes he acts like a Zionist. Sometimes he acts like a social justice warrior. And other times he acts like a fascist. Obama's not even a white man on the inside. He don't have no ideology. He's wherever the highest bidder pays him to do. Ho. Is what people would call him. <laughs> nah, I'm just saying that's what some, some people, I'd be like Trump. People say, that's why I'm going to start running my whole show like Trump. Well, they always say, or people say, or, but you know, <laughs> let me stop. I digress, but teach your children about racism. Damn it, what the hell's wrong with you? Let your children know what kind of world they were born into from day one. And I say this all the time. There's a book called Without Sanctuary. It's a coffee table book. Just buy the book and put it on the table. Without Sanctuary. Just put it on your table. My children looked at that book. It's real in the field. And if you, again, all you idiots who think it's so important for your child to read 
It's so important for your child to know financial literacy. I want my child to understand credit. There was some brother that went out and bought his daughter a vending machine and she got her own little business and everybody's like, oh, glory. He's teaching this child the right way. You are committing a dereliction of your duty. Irresponsible parenting. If you don't teach your children, not just about racism, but how to navigate, how to confront, challenge and eventually destroy it. Because if you don't, even if you buy your child up, they become a mogul. They become an Oprah with blue, blue contacts talking about I wish I was white. And all the money in the world. Then they use that money to mutilate their African features. Like Michael Jackson. So consciousness, black consciousness, racial awareness is as important as literacy. It's as important as knowing how to handle economics for their well-being. And their proper development. Now don't let don't send me no more pictures of some rich white black person crying about their child was called the N word. Your child should have been ready for that. Like, oh, I've been waiting for this. I imagine that's what my son would do. Oh, I've been waiting for this. Oh, I know exactly what's the rule. And, then, and like I said, you ain't got to tell your child to start throwing hands. Some of y'all are better than me. You can tell your child, hey. Explain to this person how they're wrong and blah, blah. Whatever your solution, the child should be prepped. Like Dick Gregory said, when he was raised up, they would say to him, one day a white boy is going to call you a nigger. And this is what you should do. And different families had different solutions. Prepare yourself. And like I said, your children should be hearing this talk and seeing this behavior modeled. You know. My wife and I, when we encountered a racist coworker or a racist condition in public, um, we talk about it. My children just hear it's it's in it's part of the milieu. It's in the air. I can feel it in the air. Now stop this. You're irresponsible. Don't tell your child, oh, you love everybody and the humanity. Don't lie to your child. It's bad enough y'all tell them a lie about Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior and stuff, and God on high and all that, you know. Now that lie, they can maybe get through life feeding off that lie. But the lie about race and I don't want my child to know and I don't want my child to feel stupid. You ain't going to be no mother antelope and not tell your children about the cheetahs, the hyenas, the lions and the jaguars. And yes, yes, they are the predators in this Political, economic, social environment, white people are predatory. And if you don't like being called predatory white folks, fix it. Fix it. Stop being predatory. Yes, and even you comfortable white man listening to the Bro Diallo show from your comfortable chair and your comfortable space with your comfortable credit score that's not getting calls from bill collectors every day. All of that comfort is a byproduct of slavery, genocide, and imperialism. Fix it. And the moment y'all stop being predatory, I'd be the first person. I'd be the first person to put on a tuxedo and tails and say, oh, y'all need to stop talking about these good white folks. I look forward to being that guy. I'd be the first one. I'd be the white. I'd be Clarence Thomas overnight. White folks ain't predatory. That was then. This here is now. Y'all stop it now. These white folks is good. I'd be the first to do it. But I'm just not going to lie for you. But if that's the truth, I'll say it. And even if black folks get mad at me, I'll do it. I'll Clarence Thomas for y'all in a heartbeat. Just do it and I'll admit it. 
Cause I'm, I'm, I'm just trying, I want to be rational and fact-based. I'm not going to say it. You got enough black people saying it and it's not true. When it becomes the truth, I'll be saying it too. I'll dye my hair white and whatever. I'll get some tap shoes and say, oh, they good. Now you stop it. Now y'all, y'all stop that dad. I'll do it. I'm, I've been rehearsing. You see, I'm good at it. So y'all stop being capitalist, imperialist, racist, fascist, oppressive, dismantle those nuclear silos. Recall all those aircraft carriers and nuclear submarines, bring them back to the harbor and deconstruct them. Reparations all around, not just for black Americans, reparations to every nation that has come under U.S. imperialism and genocide and and reparations for Vietnam, reparations for Africa, reparations for black America. You know, stuff y'all got. Y'all can do that. Do all of that. And then I'll be there. Our Uncle Ruckus for white folks. So it's, it's a deal. Terms and conditions. But I digress. Let's move on. This is a really good segue in today's topic. Even believe it or not, you, you do have a topic. Today's topic is uh, the commodification of connection. Human beings are the most social primates that have ever evolved or the most social divine beings that have ever been created. Meaning that isolation is detrimental to the development and the maintaining of a healthy human psyche, sense of self. It is considered torture. It is considered an international war crime to isolate a human being. You have to give human beings connection and opportunity to interact and interface with other human beings. If you don't, they will start to physically and psychologically deteriorate. Understanding the need and desire and tendency for human beings to want to engage and have ongoing and sustained connections with other human beings has been understood and studied and exploited by the capitalist system. And they have managed to turn connection into a commodity. A commodity is something that is manufactured, bought, sold, traded, hoarded for enrichment, for profit under capitalism. Under capitalism, a commodity is that which is used for generation of profit, exploited for profit. Under a socialist system, a commodity is something that is used for the betterment of the people in the society. Under capitalism, commodities are privatized. Under socialism, commodities are held in common with all stakeholders or invested parties. However, that's defined. It could be from a communal level to a national level to a small cooperative enterprise level. And now that we're in this system of the commodification of connection, it is very hard to work with and to sustain relationships and to sustain actual healthy relationships and mainly for the goal of addressing systemic or communal issues. For example, black people were the masters of mass movements. There had been no greater or well-sustained mass movements in the modern world that could surpass black people in the United States, dating back to uh, 
Booker T. Washington, Marcus Garvey, coming all the way up to the modern Malcolm X and Dr. King. There used to be a, if you go and read uh, movies like, uh, read movies, read books like Native Son, you will find that there was an ongoing stereotype in the 50s and 40s of black people always stick together. And black people weren't trusted because there was an idea. And I know this is so alien to us now. Like what? Who would ever think that? Because now the proper or, or the popular notion is black people don't stick together. But there used to be amongst white people and other non-black races, you can't really trust a black person because a black person is going to always look out for another black person. A black person is always going to hire for, lie for, steal for, fight for blacks. When, and if you mess with one blacks, they all come. Even in the 80s, we still had remnants of that. There were families in the hood that if even if they're a guy, there used to be a guy. I'm going to go ahead and say his name, named Antoine. Antoine was like five foot tall, five feet tall. And he weighed maybe like 75 pounds. He's a little bitty, skinny, nothing of a guy. But you knew if you mess with Antoine. Within an hour, there would be a thousand people at your doorstep looking to beat you down because they just came in a swarm. And that used to be the idea. And he had family. So everybody just kind of went around him. And he was a little ass. He had a lot of mouth. Couldn't whoop a fly, but he had a lot of mouth. Y'all know East Hills Village. You know, I ain't trying to diss Antoine, but that's just the reality. It's the example that came to mind. And I was a victim of that swarm one time. So I think I have a right to speak on the swarm of messing or saying you can't say like, be careful. And it used to that's how it would be. And my wife's mother would talk about growing up in Chicago and they go to the Bud Billiken Day Parade and there'd be a fight and somebody would get stabbed or cut. And they said that person would be taken to the emergency room. And in under an hour, the whole black community is surrounding the hospital saying what's going on. Or you go and, and, and look at the Malcolm X movie where they talk about Malcolm X showed up at the precinct to check on one of his, the NOI members and the whole hood was behind him. And black people used to swarm because in the time we didn't say we don't have economic power, we don't have political power, we don't have cultural, social power. All we had was the mass. All we had was numbers. So in certain black areas, it became culture that, hey, if you're called, show up. Because when your son gets snatched by a cop, if your daughter, if some one of these pecker woods jumps out his pickup truck and puts his hands on your daughter, you know, if the honkies or if show up at your doorstep or the slumlord comes to your project and want to, you know, one day, sooner or later, you're going to need the swarm. So when the swarm needed you, you came and added your body to the swarm because you wanted to know, like, if uh, something went down for you, you want everybody to show up. And that used to be the thing, showing up. And ministers had to show up and bring their congregation. Everybody was accounted for because that was the only system of accountability. If you had a problem, black people didn't sue each other. It was all about reputation. So anyway, I'm saying in the pre-commodification of culture, there was a time, and I'm not saying I don't like idealizing the, pa- idealizing the past. So if you look at the Bro Diallo show, there are times where there are things that I'm critical of and things that I am complimentary of. Or like Dale Jones said, this is criticism with affection when I do criticize. I'm just saying it's in the literature, it's in the culture, it's in the history that black people used to swarm on people. 
and we'd even swarm on each other. And reputation was more important than your FICA score. You're standing in the community. There used to be a time if you were known as a hustler, that was a bad thing. You'd have to pull out your straight razor and cut somebody if they called you a hustler. Because a hustler was a person that was just out for themselves. And even the people who were out for themselves used to have to give a public impression that they were with everybody. In the post-integration era, and like I said, the remnants were there. I, in my life, I've borrowed sticks of butter. You can't borrow butter. If you're going to get some butter, you don't borrow butter. That's more like an investment. That's obligating yourself. But I've borrowed cups of sugar. I've borrowed half package of bread. I've borrowed uh, butter. You know, you go in and, and you better, if you got it, you better give it because you, sooner or later, you're going to be in a position of need. I don't think my sons have ever had to borrow a cup of butter or sugar. I don't think my sons have had that experience. We've lost that, you know, and that's a problem. And this was done deliberately because if you look at the COINTELPRO, they didn't just want to do away with black leaders. They wanted to do away with black people's capacity to organize themselves. So how was Marcus Garvey? Our biggest movement was a a century, literally a hundred years ago. We have not been able to replicate and we got more tools for mass movement and mass organization now than we ever had before. We got the internet, even today, you know, yesterday, talked to my man Chuck in California, didn't have to spend a, a dime. You know, if, if me and Chuck, we were talking, we were planning, we were building. All the way in California. All the way in California. Now, you know what it would have taken for somebody in 1950 1970, hell, way back in 1920 for somebody in Chicago to have a, a, a essentially a planning and, and, and discussion with somebody in California. And yesterday I also had an engagement over WhatsApp with a brother in Nigeria. And we didn't have to come out of our pockets and pay for nothing, a free app. So we got tools to organize on a global scale, instantaneous communication. But we can't even replicate what Garvey did. We can't even replicate what Dr. King did. We can't sustain. Why? Because they have commodified our community and commodified our connections and our relationships. And we focus a lot on the assassination, a bullet to the chest. And the nation of when Dr. Farrah, when Minister Farrakhan created the environment that led to the death of Malcolm X, as he confessed he did, I don't give a damn about no white folks documentary. You know, I am, I go off of the self-exposure protocol. If you tell on yourself, I'm going to believe you. Other people tell on you, if they don't have concrete evidence, I, I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. But once you tell on yourself, that's in the discussion. That's what I do with the self-exposure protocol. That way I don't have to be vulnerable to gossip. He said, she said stuff. Self-exposure protocol. If what somebody tells me about you contradicts what you demonstrate to me, then I'm going to go with what you said. And I'm going to ride with you. But if somebody tells me something bad about you and you tell on yourself, 
then I'm going to go with that. If somebody tells me you're a great person and you demonstrate and you self-expose as a piece of crap, then I'm going to go with, I'm not going to go with the, what they say. I'm going to go with the self-exposure. That's my protocol. And I think it should be our communal protocol. It will cut down on a lot of mess in the hood and within our movements. But anyway, with COINTELPRO, we fully realized when somebody got shot, when somebody got incarcerated, when somebody was sent into exile, we we're like, wow, they tearing down our leaders. They didn't just tear down the leaders. They tear down the followers, too. They understood that in order to prevent black people from being because we were an ongoing threat since the Emancipation Proclamation, going all the way back. To the late 1800s, black people have always been defined as a national security risk. And for some of it, it's because they understood that black people didn't get a fair shake in this country. So they understood that it would be logical that if the United States went to war with the Spaniards, that the United, that black people would want to join with the Spaniards. That black people might join with the communists. And it happened. This ain't just white people being paranoid. Go look up David Fagan. When the white people went into the Philippines and attacked the Philippines and they had black soldiers. And many of the black soldiers went and fought on the side of the Filipinos against the United States. When the Rough Riders, not the Rough Riders DMX, the Rough Riders Teddy Roosevelt took a bunch of black people into Panama and into Cuba and into South America, Central America and the Caribbean. Many black people fought even in Vietnam. When you have Muhammad Ali, the most famous black man in the world saying, no Viet Cong, no Vietnamese ever called me a nigga. And you had black soldiers fragging their lieutenants. Black soldiers were not loyal. Many black soldiers fought or either subverted the war effort. They would find when they were shooting, they would have these major shootouts during World War One and World War Two. They'd have these big shootouts and they collect all the weapons and found out that like 60 percent of the soldiers refused to shoot their guns. They were just going ping, 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 holding up the guns and not pulling the trigger because they didn't want to kill other people. And so black men would be on these on these ships, on these submarines, on these airplanes, even in the Gulf War. It is documented black people sitting on the plane in the Gulf War and their white soldiers sitting across from them talking about, oh, I can't wait to get off the plane to kill some sand niggers. And the black soldiers like, damn. So they always understood that black people, even though they said we were psychological, we were inferior, that we were primates, that we weren't fully human. And I don't understand why they had to write laws and enforce laws that we can't read. They don't write laws for apes not to read or cattle not to read, but they had to prevent us from learning. If we're not capable of learning, why did you have to enforce for over a century to deny us the opportunity to learn if we're not capable of why are you going to die? That's like outlawing human flight. Like humans can't fly. We need instruments. We need helicopters, airplanes. So you don't outlaw something that can't happen. But you know, I digress. Black people have always been defined as a security risk. And every now and then we confirm that we are a security risk and we're not a security risk because we're disloyal to the American government. We are security risk because we resist dehumanization and oppression. And when that dehumanization and oppression, the straw, the, the straw that breaks the camel back, when we've been pushed too far, like uh, most deaf said, 
How did one straw break the camel's back? Here's the secret. A million under straws underneath it. So when you see black people burning down a city, when you see a black man engage in what is called maximum emergency compensatory justice, and he goes on a shooting spree. So one, I got to find, if you have access to Professor Mackey's article or the recording of his lecture called Crazy Niggas, Khalil, I know you were at that lecture too. There was somebody there recording it, but I don't know what happened to it. But anybody, anybody that got that crazy nigga, I'd love to play it for the community. But when a black man goes sane and starts to tear some or black women start to, you know, wild out. It's because of the million other instances. It's never that one incident of being called out our name, that one incident of being pulled over and detained for no reason. It's always a, a billion other pile ups. So anyway. They understood that our black leaders were not the threat. They are the ones who harnessed the threat, who guided and directed the threat. The threat was all of us. So just like they assassinated their capacity to lead, they assassinated our capacity to connect with each other. You know, and I remember when I first went moved to New York, there was this song by Tracy Chapman. And I don't remember the song, but there was a line in there. She, uh, why she asked, you know, there are a billion people on this world, but we have loneliness. Like, how do you have all these people around you and yet you're still lonely? And I thought that was a clever song lyric, but it didn't hit me till I moved to New York because Kansas City is different. You know, black in Kansas City, we were all close. We were all connected. And yeah, they go in your pocket and take a few dollars out, but they were there. <laughs> it was different. New York, it was a lot of people all together by themselves. And I've never seen that. I'd never lived in a like a big metropolis before. There's certain elements of that lesser degree in Chicago. But, you know, like the time I spent in the Bay Area back in, in um, the early 2000s and just going to the various big cities versus small towns around black America, Colorado, you know, it's different. But then I understood, man, all these people here, and all this stuff that could happen. But everybody's here on their own. And I used to, let me not go too much into that because I'm running out of time. But they created situations where they wanted to prevent black people from coalescing because many of the leaders emerged from us coming together. The leaders didn't bring us together. Martin Luther King did not create the movement. The movement created Dr. King. Malcolm X did not create a movement. A movement created Dr. King. And so the oppressors understood that black people coming together and coalescing and, and coordinating and connecting together is what created these men, these individuals and women who were threats. The times make the man. The man don't make the time. The people make the individual. The individual does not make the people. So at the but we pay so little attention on the work that they did COINTELPRO and other such programs in the private and public from 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 private security agents to public uh, media agencies and, and companies, how they said we can't just keep, you know, decapitating these leaders. We have to deal with the body, too. Because right now in 2020, we have Dr. King's living among us. We have Malcolm X's living among us. We have Marcus Garvey's living among us. We have Ida B. Wells living among us. Rosa Parks. We have all those same committed, revolutionary, conscious, principled 
brave people among us right now, but there is no platform for them. There is nothing to, 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 there is, we, we don't have the ability to elevate and sustain such individuals. That's why we get all these Dr. Umars or even these Shahara, these charlatans, these nut jobs, these cult leaders, since there is no organic environment to cultivate these seeds and grow these seeds of revolutionary leaders, we get self-made people, self-appointed. People tell me all the time, why don't you be a leader? Any leader that says I'm the leader is not a leader. That's a dictator. That's a demagogue. These other people, if you study Malcolm X and Dr. King and these true leaders, they didn't want to be leaders. They wanted to serve. And the people made them leaders. They whatever capacity. You know, look at all the grunt work Malcolm had to do. And Malcolm will get up very humble. The most honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us. The most honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us. And you read Malcolm X. You listen to Malcolm X's speeches. And he's saying stuff Elijah Muhammad never said. He was far miles ahead of Elijah Muhammad even before he left the damn nation. But he was humble. So how did they do this? One thing they did was they replaced our racial identity with consumer identity. Consumer identity is an identity constructed as a byproduct of things you obtain from outside yourself. You know, where you say, well, I'm a middle class person. And it's less that you're middle class because of your sensibilities, because of your disposition, your mannerisms, the way you articulate yourself. But you're middle class because you buy middle class things. You don't buy generic products. Everything, everything brand name. Gold all on my neck. Uh, gold all on my back. Uh. So that's basically consumer. I'm hood. Why am I hood? Because I wear hood clothes. I listen to hood music. I consume hood things. I drink Kool-Aid with a lot of sugar in it. So now our identities are constructed by things we obtain. And the things that we obtain to obtain to construct our identities are secured from things outside ourselves. I went off to get this education. It used to be in the hood. A scholar was a scholar was a scholar. And you could be a brother that sat all day in the library or a brother that went off and got a five beta Kappa key from Harvard. But people would measure your quality of scholarship based on what you said. And that's why we have people like John G. Jackson, John Henry Clark. And you also have scholars like Dr. Ben, who's like, I don't do bibliographies and all that stuff. I'm going to bring you the information the way I bring it. There was a wide array of scholars and teachers and master teachers in the community. And there wasn't any type of commodified scholar or scholarship credentials. You get it how you get it. And the people would measure the quality of your scholarship. Even Elijah Muhammad, who had like less than an eighth grade education, child of a sharecropper. But he was looked to and respected as a man of learning. But now... You could be saying whatever you could be coming with the best wisdom and research. You know, you got somebody like even and I'm not saying we've totally lost all of that. There's elements of everything that I'm saying we lost because I every time as I'm talking about what we lost, I think like uh, Baba Kiti Awadu. He ain't got no former schooling. He's one of the greatest black scholars alive today. One of the best black researchers today. And he even calls himself fake Dr. Kiti <laughs> because he doesn't have any formal schooling. But he is a phenomenal researcher. So even though 
I'm saying we lost this. It, it's all to degrees. It's all relative. Because there are elements like posseing up, and I know maybe some of y'all are like, oh, please, I know we know how to mass. I'm saying in degrees and, and levels of concentration. And even though, even if we can match what we had in the past, that's still shameful because we should surpass our ancestors. You don't do your ancestors justice by simply replicating what they do because they did it already. We have to surpass Garvey. I mean, people really think they're doing something when they could just replicate what Malcolm X did and repeat what Malcolm X said. That's not doing service to Malcolm X and his legacy. But this consumer identity, we have to be able to define ourselves not based on things manufactured from outside of ourselves, outside of our community. Now, we can use things that we consume, tools, instruments, guns, whatever you go out there and buy. Your identity should be grounded in things that cannot be taken away from you. Your culture, your community, your heritage, your ideology. Not if your shoes have red bottoms. And even you conscious revolutionaries guys with this guns. And I see guns all over social media. These black men in guns and Huey P. Newton gun club. Yeah, that's all well and good. But guns can be confiscated. Do you stop being a revolutionary when you don't have the gun? I don't have a gun right now. I'm still a revolutionary. You give me a gun, I'm still a revolutionary witch. So consumer culture makes it possible for somebody or consumer identity makes it possible for someone to deconstruct or redirect your identity using instruments outside of your control by opening up your access to material resources or cutting off your access to material resources. So we need to construct a situation or a culture or a community where our identities are detached from what we can or do consume or do not consume. Even though I advocate for veganism, it is idea. It's not about the vegan products I do or don't buy. It's my value system internally. You know, if they shut down all the whole foods all over America, that would not in any way, it's not rooted in what I, so consumer identity is something that we're not even c- conscious of. But a lot of times, or, or sister, as May told me one time, sometimes the things we buy own us, and we don't own them. So that's something we should be aware of and we should constantly challenge. Another thing that we should deal with and address is parasocial relationships. A parasocial relationship is a one-sided relationship where only one person is aware of the relationship, only one person is emotionally invested in the relationship. Now, this parasocial relationship really came to a head, even though I've been aware of this concept for quite some time with the Kobe Bryant situation and the tragic loss or tragic death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter. Now, we have a lot of people in parasocial relationships that invest more in that parasocial relationship than they do in they're in the um, the real world material relationships. And you have people that have strong emotional binds and ties to people they have never met. People that don't know who they are. We have people who have invested thousands of dollars in this relationship. Uh, buying the sneakers that the LeBron James endorses. Buying his overpriced jersey have spent more time watching 
you know, LeBron James play basketball and then they watch their own children playing, period. Or playing with their children. That is called a parasocial relationship. And there are men like uh, Snoop Dogg who will threaten or even commit acts of violence. There have been people who have threatened other people for not praying, having proper reverence for Nipsey Hussle or Kobe Bryant. Or even if you dis, even it doesn't have to be somebody that was tragically lost. It could be somebody, uh, I've had people attack me on behalf of people they don't know. Dr. Umar. I criticize Umar, and instead of someone coming to me and say, well, you said Umar is a black Puritan, and Umar claims to be Pan-African, but he promotes puritanical Judeo-Christian and evangelical value systems and family structure. That's one of my criticisms. And instead of saying, well, I disagree with that and saying, well, if you go to Africa and you can see things like the male, the, the patriarchal household and then the nuclear family and sexual chastity or whatever is was promoted in Africa prior to colonial incursion and prior to puritanical or religious conversion of Africans. This is how the family was structured. And we could have that discussion. But I've had people who don't know Umar, who don't want to debate the ideas of Umar that I'm criticizing, but want to fight me for a daring having any negative impression of Umar. And Umar doesn't know this person. Even with uh, Blue Ivy, Jay-Z and, and Bay, I've seen people out there fighting like they carried Blue Ivy for nine months. For the nine months you carried her and y'all fight like literally not. It's not even the principality like you shouldn't mock a child. You should respect children. It's not even that. People are literally like, no, forget children, just Blue Ivy. Like, do you know that girl? I'm like, do you know if, if you saw Blue Ivy in public and you approached her, you would be pounced on and beat to a bloody pulp by security? Like, how are you emotionally? About? Now, the principle of attacking a child, I can get with like, hey, don't be dissing a child like that unless the child deserves it. <laughs> There's some little jerks out there. Seriously, there I know some kids that are little jerks, but I don't know Lou Ivy to know if she's a jerk. But I know some jerks, some seven, eight year old jerks. Oh my goodness! But I'm not gonna name names because some of y'all are too righteous. My I might have a show to call out kids, little badass kids. But anyway, and some of them they related to me, so I can have a negative opinion of them. But I'm saying, you, I can get with the principle of saying. You don't mock children on social media like that, you know, and say they name. But as far as Blue Ivy, I care about as much about Blue Ivy as Jay-Z cares about Oromo and Sekou, my two children. Now, he might have a care of children if he wouldn't pimp my kids or sell them crack or shoot them down in a drive-by. But I heard he doesn't do those things anymore. Well, I heard he never did those things, but he promotes those things and glamorized those things. And I blame Jay-Z for all the degenerate murder rap that's out now. He is the godfather of murder rap. And N.W.A. and Ice Cube, all these people that are now wholesome Disney fathers are, are, are have a lot of blood on their hands as anti-African propagandists, but I digress. All I'm saying is, in these parasocial relationships, you need to understand this is a one-side relationship and you should divest from them, all of them. I'm not saying that you don't, you're, you're not entertained 
or you're not impressed and wild by their ability to chase balls or spit lyrics or whatever it is in these one-sided parasocial relationships. But you should take the money and time and redirect it towards social relationship, communal relationship, real world flesh and bone relationship and still be entertained. But be entertained with the complete extraction. Like I just I like the Terminator movies. And I can watch the Terminator movies and not feel a damn thing for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, if Arnold Schwarzenegger joined Antifa. If he joined the Earth Liberation Front and became a white radical and put all his money up for liberation, then I will feel some connection because we have a common overlapping cause in terms of environmental preservation. I'm for that. And I appreciate white folks who do that. Even the Peter white folks keep going. Good job, white folks. If I could pat them on the back, I would. So you can watch these wealthy black men and women accomplish all these great things and detach yourself and say, I'm going to preserve my emotional investment for people that I have common cause with people of the same class and same ideology. We need to begin to reduce. And in this time, consciously say, I'm going to be deliberately divested from these people unless now if you know somebody who's a a revolutionary artist who's investing their resources and talent for the liberation of our people, then that's not really parasocial. It's not one-sided because they're contributing to you, even if it's indirect. Even LeBron James, and you think, hey, he opened this school. Now, I got my issues with the school. I did a whole show on black trickle-down economics and, and, and the monarch of King James. But let's say that. Then if you can really look into that and say, hey, this is a dude who's quote-unquote giving back. I hate that giving back. It's how you giving back. That's like I go home and give back to my family. You don't give back. You just spread it. You know, you you sharing. You 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 getting. And it's 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 a reciprocal thing. It ain't just you giving and we taking. But I digress. So you can begin to have some connection, but you still have to understand this is an indirect connection. Or hell, you can maybe write. LeBron a letter and say, I appreciate what you're doing, man. And how can I contribute to what you're doing or help to enhance what you're doing? But LeBron's going to tell you, oh, no, I got a whole bunch of white people on payroll for that. (laughs) And you don't believe me? Look at the administrators of his charities and his schools. And you see how many black people run things there. But I digress. I continue to digress. This is Brody Allen Show, Q4 Radio. Tomorrow in studio, we're going to have again Dr. Mingo. She's going to be here every Friday in February. And uh, we're trying to raise funds to sustain the show. Uh, um, I, I love being able to serve my community in this way. Um, I think this is an asset for the community. If you agree, please share. If you're not in a position to share, then please, please, please uh, um, share, uh, subscribe to the YouTube it, it just give a shout out to uh, Q4. Let Q4 know you appreciate that they're here setting up, plugging in, running all these wires and keeping up all these instruments and flashing lights. I don't know what none of this stuff do, but it obviously lets me talk to you. So I appreciate it, too. And uh, again, become a Patreon. Uh, the Patreon is fully updated. The website is fully updated. And I am currently working on my appreciation gifts. I'm going to create more tears. Shout out to Chauncey. He finally made good. He's a man of his word. Self-exposure protocol. He has exposed himself to be a man of the word. And then Chauncey, after 
He made good on his word. He then he gonna come to me and say, "Oh, now you ain't got nothing to complain about." And I'm like, "You don't know, bro, Diallo. I am the Grinch. I can find something to complain about, even when you do everything right. I can find something wrong with it. So don't challenge me. Don't test me, Chauncey. Because if you, I can find other things. Even if you did everything you said you're gonna do, I can find a way. You didn't do it the right way. You said you was gonna do it. So don't don't play with fire because you might get burned. Anyway, Q4 Radio, bro, Diallo. Again, shout out to Chauncey. Shout out to Chuck. Uh, shout out to everybody, all my supporters, all my Patreons, everybody who's made a donation, everybody who shared a link from the show, who subscribed to YouTube to help build up Pan-African Revolutionary Conscious Media. And I'll see y'all Friday morning. And again, we're going to have Dr. Mingo on deck for uh, two more times. She'll be here next Friday. No, this Friday, day after tomorrow. Peace. Peace.